Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters. It's a great joy to be with you. I'm Father Dave Tedeschi, and it's been, I think, a few years now, maybe, I don't know, five or six years since I've said Mass here with the sisters, so it's a, a great pleasure for me to be back and, and helping everybody out with some substitute uh, uh, ministry here. Draw attention to our Gospel text here to begin our homily. Jesus says something very powerful. He says, I have come to set the earth on fire. The entire earth he's talking about. He's not, I've not come to set just Palestine on fire. I've not come to set just Europe. I've come to set the entire earth on fire. And so what strikes us immediately is the universality, the geographical universality of Christ's mission. And yet, what is the most immediate or proximate reference that he's making here is actually to his cross. Now, the cross on which our Savior died was uh, located on Mount Calvary. And uh, Mount Calvary, you know, in the Bible they use the word mountain, but it's kind of a misnomer. It's a very loose term. Very, very small. It's really like a hill. A very small hill. And if you go to Jerusalem to this day, they have built a, a shrine over the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There's a shrine right on where Christ was crucified. And it's no bigger than maybe the carpet uh, right up here on the altar. So think of the contrast in terms of space. Jesus' mission is aimed for the whole earth, but it began in a space no bigger than this little altar right up here. What was it that went from, was able to go from this tiny space to fill the whole earth? It was fire, but the fire of what? The fire of Christ's love. And one of the most powerful images we have in our tradition is of the sacred heart of Jesus. And in our prayers and devotions, we refer to the heart of Jesus as a furnace of charity, burning with love for God and love for humankind. And so, of course, we have the image in our mind, the flames are coming forth out of the top of the sacred heart. Furnace of charity, burning with love. And so the space from which that fire that would engulf the whole earth began was no bigger than this altar. In fact, it was even smaller than that. It was confined to the narrow limits of Christ's sacred heart. Such a small space emitted and produced such a great fire that it engulfed the world. And it is engulfing the world to this day. So we pray that our own hearts would be immersed in that fire, that same flame that burned in Jesus' heart. I think of our first reading. Sometimes we ourselves feel confined to certain, you know, we have trials and tribulations in our life and we feel like we've been crushed into a little space. And when that happens to us and when we find ourselves in that place, we trust, because we know that's the place that gave birth to that fire that engulfed the whole earth. And when we embrace that willingly, 
in trust of God, in love of God, in love of our neighbor, and in faith, that space into which we've been confined becomes this springboard for something much greater and much bigger than that small confined space. Think of Jeremiah. So now I'm getting to our first reading. Jeremiah was placed into a, a pit. Jeremiah, in our tradition, is, is thought of as a prophecy or a type. He's a symbol, as it were, of Christ himself because Jeremiah was, of all the prophets, the one most persecuted and the one that went through the most suffering. And so he's a fitting type of Christ himself. And so there is a type of the cross as well that Jeremiah has to go through. He's put into a pit, a cistern that's empty. And at that time, you know, it could have been as as narrow as, say, a six-foot space, very deep, maybe 12 feet deep. Six-foot space, it's confined space. So that's the kind of narrow place that we can find ourselves in. I think of the martyrs, and of course I'm sure our sisters know uh, the martyrs of, I'm going to mispronounce the French term, it's the martyrs of Campagne, Campagne. Um, and I'm sure our sisters can tell you more about them than I can. Uh, during the French Revolution, 16 Carmelite sisters uh, were, were persecuted and martyred. And uh, this was during the Reign of Terror. So it was a 1790 before the Reign of Terror. Uh, there was The religious life was made illegal, essentially. And in any time there is a political regime that moves in the spirit of Antichrist, the first thing that they attack are the enclosed religious orders and the contemplatives. It's the first thing, and they shut them down. Because they say, because they look with the eyes of flesh, and they say, what good are these people doing? They're useless to the polity. Get rid of them. But we know as Catholics, it's the exact opposite. The most useful, the most spiritually fruitful, the most spiritually powerful members of the body of Christ are those who have willingly chosen to confine themselves in that small space of the enclosed religious life. Because it's from that narrow space that the fire of Christ bursts forth and consumes the whole world. The more invisible, the more powerful. That's a a very important spiritual principle. And so the Antichrist closes down those things. So So they were made illegal and they had to go and they, I think they split up a little bit and they had two or three houses that they were in for a few years that just some lay people kind of uh, sheltered them in and they continued their religious life illegally and then they were eventually caught and they were put on a trial but it was a show trial and uh, before all of that happened the prioress said I think that the Lord is calling us to give our lives in sacrifice for the good of the church in France so it was kind of a, she had a prophetic intuition that they were going to be martyred, and they were eventually. And I think of the confined space, the small space in which the sisters were placed. They were put on a cart, all 16 of them were shoved into this little cart drawn by, I don't know, donkeys or oxen or whatever. And they were brought through the streets, and everybody was mocking them, and they were outcasts. 
And then they were the small space of the scaffold on which the guillotine was that that <clears throat> took their lives. And the beautiful thing was before the prioress was the last to be uh, martyred, and before uh, she was martyred, each of the sisters came to her and asked for permission to be killed. Because you have to understand, for the religious life, everything comes down to the virtue of obedience. That that power of love that begins in this small, confined space and bursts out and consumes the whole earth depends on that virtue of religious obedience. And so it wasn't like the sisters were saying, hey, look at me, I'm this great person, I'm going to go and be a hero and die for the faith or something like that. They first asked obedience to die for the faith. And it was, of course, granted by the prioress, and then she went last. That small, confined space in the scaffold on which their lives were taken, from there, salvation burst forth. And uh, the Catholics at the time, and it's pretty kind of self-evident, ascribe their sacrifice as the cause that brought the end to the reign of terror because it was only ten days later that Robespierre, who was the, the kind of a head a honcho of, of the reign of terror, he was he himself was executed. You know, if you take up the sword, you will die by the sword. So that's kind of what happened with Robespierre. And the reign of terror came to an end only ten days after the sisters' sacrifice. And so their example for us is just a small little microcosm of what Jesus, uh, of what Jesus calls all of us to do, and that he provided that first exemplary model for us. For all of us, we will find ourselves shoved into a pit, into a confined space, but that's precisely, that confinement and narrowness is precisely where the power of Christ's love issues forth and goes over to the whole world. And it's not about, you know, I love our, our reading, our second reading from Hebrews that says, this is something that struck me probably 20 years ago, and I've always had it in my heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. <laughs> so sometimes we get over dramatic. Oh, I'm having such a hard time in my life, so forth and so on. But it's always, we haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, so just relax. Okay, it's not that bad. Okay. And it also says, too, in our second reading, he says, Consider how he, Christ, endured such opposition from sinners in order that you may not grow weary and lose heart, because we need courage in the Christian life. Now, what I think is really important is that though St. Paul, the author of Hebrews, begins with this reference to sinners, and I think of all the people shouting and mocking the sisters as they go to the scaffold, you know what they did before they died? They forgave those who killed them. Because at the end of the day, it's not about sinners, it's about sin. Because the author in Hebrews goes on and he says, talks about sinners, but then he immediately says, in your struggle against sin, not our struggle against sinners, our struggle against sin, because we understand that sin is the issue, not sinners. There's no human being on this earth that is our enemy. And we know that the dividing line between good and evil between sin and righteousness runs right down the middle not of what this group and that group this political party and that political party but it runs right down the middle of our own hearts and that we wage this battle of sin in us in each one of us but we have great confidence 
and trust and faith that that battle is already won because of the love of Jesus Christ that burns in each of our hearts through baptism and especially through the Holy Eucharist that we need so much. When we receive Eucharist, the fire of the divine love burns in us and extinguishes that sin so that we can win that struggle that we are all called to. And as we win that battle in here, it flows out and it echoes into the whole world. And the more that we embrace those passive purgations and penances that providence gives to us, the more that we are spiritually powerful and effective for the world. And only in eternity will we know the value and the effects of our sacrifices. And so we thank God for that vocation that he has on all of us, but especially for that vocation that he's given to certain people who are called to enter the, the cloistered religious life. And if I'm not mistaken, I saw on the website there's going to be a, a holy hour for vocations next Sunday. So we know that we depend. If we want to have a public presence, we need the cloistered religious life. They are what is powering everything in the life of the church. So let's, let's encourage the sisters and, and join them next Sunday in prayer for vocations to the religious life. Only one contemplative sister. I, I, I don't know, but God knows, and I know that it's great. The value and the power that one contemplative sister, cloistered sister, has for the whole earth is immeasurable. So if we can get one more vocation through our prayers next Sunday, that will be very, very powerful and effective for the spreading of that fire of Christ that was destined to consume the whole earth.